On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. That doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes time. You've spent your life building your business, so it will take time and planning to pass it on. New state initiatives announced designed to address child care needs. And in our business profile, we'll learn about a company built out of necessity, now expanding to meet demand. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of November 2021. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. It's one thing to buy or sell a car. It's a quick transaction with a pretty well-defined starting and ending point. But buying or selling a business is far more complicated. Deborah G. Russo works with businesses in transition and with succession planning as part of Advance Iowa. I would say that the biggest issue that business owners have is the timing. Business owners would like to think that when they're ready to sell the business, it will happen quickly, that it's a transaction, that they will decide it's time to sell, determine the price, and they will sell the business. And it's a transaction like buying and selling a car or buying and selling a house. And selling a business is very different, and it takes more time. It's a process. The business owner needs to recognize that they need to plan, that it's a planning, it's setting the roadmap for when do they want to sell the business, what's the value of the business, and how does the value of the business compare to what they think the business is worth, and then who are they going to sell the business to? How is that transaction going to happen? Are they going to sell to key employees? Are they going to sell maybe to a family member? Are they going to sell to a third party? And what is the business organization going to look like? Is it going to be a partnership, a corporation, a sole proprietorship? Is it going to be a worker co-op? Or is it going to be an ESOP? So there are many questions that need to be answered. And all of those take time. And business owners don't always think about how long the process takes. Some of that I wonder if it is a function of if they've devoted 20, 30, 40 years, the bulk of their working life to that company. Succession suggests an end of something, and they may not embrace that as much as they should, which means they either get into a forced window or it's not as smooth a transition, whether it's internally or externally, as it might have been if they simply would say, this needs to take a certain period of time. I would agree with that. Because if you've spent the last 40 years building a business, it's not easy to walk away. And that requires reaching the readiness to make the exit. And sometimes... There are forces outside of the business owner's control that results in an exit being needed sooner versus later. Maybe it's a health issue. So just like individuals 
don't want to write their will. They delay. They procrastinate. Because of what that means. Exactly. Business owners do the same. And part of what we want to do as an education process with Advanced Iowa is help business owners recognize that starting the process doesn't mean that you're selling your business tomorrow. It means that you're putting a roadmap in place because you know that at some point in the future, this is what needs to happen. And we know that planning usually results in a better outcome, that we can identify the plan, ask questions, answer those questions, and build what is a good secession. And it may involve that it takes time to have the key employees that can secede, that they need to do some growth and development to take over some of those responsibilities. Because they have to know. That's right. They have to know what the plan is or that they are part of a potential plan. That's right. And they have to gain skills that are different because they're becoming owners. And the transition may result in partial transfer of ownership over time because the new owners aren't necessarily in a financial position to buy 100% of the company. And so the likely outcome is not that you retire on Friday and you're done and Monday you start retirement. It's probably a phase out. And so part of going through the process of identifying what are your objectives as you exit this business, what are your objectives, help lay out your roadmap and make it a more effective and and satisfying process for the business owner. I think that's such a good way to phrase it because the satisfying part, we now are not just based on how much money did I get for it. Mm -hmm. That is a measure of satisfaction, but you want to see the whole process, especially if it is a business where you have a direct relationship with all these employees. You want to look after them. You want to make sure they're cared for. That's exactly right. And I think that one of the other issues that business owners deal with when they're thinking about the exit plan is how do they tell their employees? How do they convey to their key employees that, yes, I'm setting a plan together, but I'm not leaving tomorrow, that this is a plan for the next three to five years? So it's it's a difficult conversation to have. And human characteristics suggest that we avoid conversations we don't like to have. And so human nature says delay exit planning until you absolutely have to. And what we're trying to do at Advance Iowa is educate and provide services and the resources to help with the planning process so that it can go smoothly and that it's a positive outcome for the business owner who's selling, the people who are buying the business, and the community that is retaining the business. That's a very important point because for many of these companies, they are an integral part of the local economy, the social structure, charitable structure. So that kind of a change can mean a lot of things that, unless it's accounted for very clearly, can mean things that are somewhat negative. But as you talk, I think We all say we should have a crisis plan, right? What happens if A, B, or C, and we often think of a natural disaster. But even though many companies do have that, 
Some don't because they don't want to think of it. And I analogize in a very minor way to computer backup, right? We all know we should do it, and we don't get backup religion until we forget to do it, and they are not sure they can restore the information. In other words, that's not the time. A crisis is not the time to roll out a good strategy. It needs to be in advance, whether we're talking about loss of data, a fire, significant health issue, or an actual planned succession, which is really a life plan for the business. That's exactly right. What that plan does is it provides continuity, it provides sustainability, and if you're planning over time, you're also allowing that the owner to develop the management team so that it becomes seamless when the actual exit or transition happens. And that that doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes time. Deb Giruso of Advance Iowa. There's more to discuss on the topic, and we'll do it on a future edition of this program next month. To learn more about the topic in the meantime, go online to AdvanceIowa.com. Still to come, implementing child care recommendations. And you'll learn about a family-owned company that recently grew out of its hometown. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, sponsors of a webinar called Your Company Isn't Worth What You Think It Is Yet. It will be held on both December 7th and 9th. For more information or to register, go to AdvanceIowa.com slash events. Earlier this month, Governor Kim Reynolds announced several initiatives designed to address Iowa's child care shortage as it relates to the state's economic growth. In March, the Governor's Child Care Task Force was established. Members were from both the public and private sectors to come up with a comprehensive strategy and recommendations. Available sometime next year, a new statewide web-based child care management system will enable providers to leverage a shared services model for various business operations. In addition, starting in January, a Best Place for Working Parents designation will be available to recognize employers that accommodate needs of employees with children. The idea is to let job seekers quickly identify family-friendly employers and to encourage businesses to invest in child care. $10 million of funding will go to the Child Care Challenge Grant Program. $100,000 of grants will be available for advanced planning efforts to blend child care and preschool learning. And from the State Department of Human Services, $200 million in federal funding to assist eligible child care providers who can verify financial loss due to the pandemic. Overall, state officials say more than $137 million in state and federal funding has been allocated to support child care across the state. Coming up, a woodworker's friend. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, 
Sponsors of a webinar to be held on both December 14th and 16th called Peace, Love, and Employee Co-ops. For more or to register, go to AdvanceIowa.com events. Support for the Iowa Business Report also comes from Iowa History Journal. The November-December issue features stories on legendary educator Phoebe Sudlow, 175 years of Iowa statehood, and a cyclone who ran Monsanto. Get your copy at Fairway, Hy-Vee, and at iowahistoryjournal.com. In this week's business profile, we'll introduce you to Todd Sommerfeld, the second-generation leader of Craig Tool. It's a story of necessity, invention, and reinvention spanning three decades. Craig Tool is 32 years old this year, so it started really originally didn't start out to have a company. So it started with a product. That product was a pocket hole jig, which is a device to join two pieces of wood by drilling a hole at an angle so you can drive a screw in that. And my dad created a the first pocket hole jig in the mid-80s, 1983-84, for building the kitchen cabinets in the house that I grew up in. He was building those, and he used this kind of toe-nailed screw joint to attach the face frame face of the cabinets to the plywood members. And that was simply to not have to nail them on from the front and fill it with wood putty. So it was solving a, a problem that my mom had, and it worked really, really well to, to join the wood in that. And, and what he ended up doing is he gave a modified version of that product to my uncle, my uncle Mark, who was a high school shop teacher, built custom kitchen cabinets in the summertime. And Mark for a few years, built cabinets with this particular joinery method and really developed the teaching and the education of it and really encouraged my dad to take a product to trade shows. So in 1989, after a few years, Craig's Jig, which is what my uncle called it, became the Craig Jig. And and we took uh, the first trade show was up in Minneapolis, took 20 products, sold out of those, took orders for 22 more. And after a few trade shows, my dad, my uncle wanted to start a business. My mom was like, that's too risky. So it just it started out with these trade shows. And then really the company launched because the factory my dad was working at, Bourne's and Ames, they shut down, moved operations to Taiwan. One of the options was to make this hobby into a business. And that that's the one we ended up going with. But not until he had a job offer from a guy in Ames that after uh, Lauren was his name, heard about the opportunity my dad had. He said, Craig, you got to go do that. He goes, if it doesn't work out, I got a job waiting for you, but uh, you need to give that a shot. And we did and haven't looked back. So trade shows is, is really how we started selling, selling product at weekend trade shows around the country. And that grew into dealer sales and where we're at today. But that was, that's how we got started. So I love the story at a variety of levels. Mom didn't want nail holes filled with putty. And so, of course, and I know nothing about woodworking, but I know enough that if you did an angle, you could avoid that very visible nail hole. But nobody had created a jig for uniformity to this point. And he just comes up with it. It seems self-evident now, 35, 40 years later, because now we're all used to this. This changed how people joined corners and pieces of wood in so many different concepts. It really did. There was some professional cabinet machinery that did this, but nothing for the average do-it-yourselfer. So in, in this industry, we call those jigs, jigs and fixtures. And so this was the Craig jig. And it, it makes joining wood 
you know, so, so easy that it creates this called a head, hand and heart connection that people join wood and they instantly have created something that has been at the heart of of the brand and the, and the culture of the company ever since is that initial sense of accomplishment that people get from it. So it's been, it's been fun to be a part of for so many years. Now it started with him inventing this and then he brings your uncle along. How many employees do you now have at your new facility? Yeah, the new facility here in Ankeny, we, we employ 225 here at this facility. We also have about 10 to 15 in Huxley. So we've just moved. And so total about 200, 230 employees. That's a pretty good exponential growth from coming up with uh, something that was a necessity because of, in essence, aesthetics. That's right. Yeah, it's it's a fun story that not only has a company, but we can we can attract people to the purpose of the organization, what we do. And, and for that reason, we, we enjoy it when we grow because we can add more people to it. So you obviously grew up with this. How did you become a part of the company? I was a part of it from very early on. I think I was 14 when we started making those products that first year. So I went to my first trade show when I was 15. And then I was actually part of selling what I was making in the backyard. And that really triggered some excitement in me. I saw there was one guy that showed up at this trade show and he had been there the year before and, and he was so excited to share something with his friends, share an experience. And I really connected with that customer and that the experience that he wanted to share. And, and really early on when I was 15, got a vision of what I wanted to do in the business. We didn't really talk about me being a part of the business until years later. I went to you and I got an accounting degree. I spent seven months in public accounting before the business was at a point where there were some changes, some new competition. My dad came to me and said, you, you ever thought about joining the business? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I have. I was just uh, waiting for you to ask. Well, I was just waiting. <laughs> and uh, it was a family business. So it, it had my uncle at that point, 1999, my uncle and my dad had stopped doing business together. My uncle started his own business. And so there was some tension in the family. My mom was a little guarded on bringing more family into the business. But we worked through that and I joined full time in 1999. We had about 15 employees. It's been fun growing the company ever since then. Now, we mentioned a new facility. It's obviously difficult to expand and then get to a point where you say, we're either going to stop here or we're going to have to grow somewhere else because we just have maximized the potential where we were. That's a difficult conversation to have, not only within the management team, the family, but then also employees. I mean, that starts with, you're right, there's a decision, keep growing or kind of maintain. And one of our values is growth mindset. When I came to the organization, I told my dad, I said, if you're not growing, you're dying. That's a value that drives a lot of what we do and it drives some decisions. For us, standing still is not an option, right? Because we believe you can only do that so long. And so it's been a challenge growing. We grew into three facilities up in Huxley. And as we grew out of those, we realized that combining those three facilities into one facility was was best for our long-term growth. And so we went down that path. And ultimately, we ended up building something that was a little different, and it kind of shaped the identity of the organization and what we what we built. So what we manufacture, what we source is much more of a hybrid now. So we'd gotten to the point where we were making everything that we were selling, or a, a lot of it. And some of that makes sense for us to do. Some of it doesn't. 
just in terms of global global economy, global scale, we we compete on a global supply chain. We compete with very large brands in Lowe's and Home Depot, and so we've got to we've got to be competitive in that whole space. So that dictates certainly price points and a lot of what we're able to do. So we've gone through not only growing but changing as a result of this new build and this new facility. It's been a very good journey and a lot of ups and downs and, and twists and turns in it. Now, you worked with the folks from Advance Iowa and you and I at some point in this, as I understand it. Is that right? Advance Iowa, the family business unit. Yep, been a part of that organization, being a family business. So been in a number of roundtables, spoken at a few of those, and just part of that community and the fabric of family business here in Iowa. So we just want to lend a voice and, and advocate for that, tell our story, learn from others. So that's been good for us. Todd Sommerfeld of Craig Tool, online at craigtool.com. Craig is spelled K-R-E-G. We spoke via Zoom on Tuesday, November 16th. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. And a reminder, next week, a special edition of the program from the Creators Wanted National Manufacturing Event held earlier this month in Pella. That's Thanksgiving weekend here on the Iowa Business Report. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.